to another episode sitting of our podcast, Sitting Dockside, which, by the way, the parent company is, parent company is PWNRA, Private Waters Natural Resource Association. That is the nonprofit. It's also the nonprofit parent of our Facebook page, Lake and Pond Management Questions, Content, and Community, growing by the day, leaps and bounds. If you're not a member, join. And hey, today we're talking about blue, yellow, black. and red, black, lake colorants is the topic today. Let's go. Well, we're your hosts, Matt Rail and my Tennessee buddy, Troy Goldsby. Together, we have been working with lakes and ponds for over 40 years. And during that time, we have picked up on a ton of tips and tricks from lake owners and experts from all over the country. So if you want to learn how to catch some smiles from your kids or grandkids on your lake, or learn how to grow some memories on your pond, then come sit with us on Sitting Dockside. Hey, Troy, starting another Sitting Dockside. I know it's a quick one, but you you know we had a uh, few people reach out to me this week about pond color they're saying yeah. yeah they uh you know they're saying hey using pond color in in a lake and pond you decrease your fisheries by 75 percent yeah you won't um basically it's like adding infertility into your pond and lake and so i kind of went it's it's kind of bothered me because i never it has some credibility in science, like, hey, yeah, let's put some coloring in there. And then it decreases your zooplankton growth, maybe because it decreases green algae growth in sunlight and yeah. competes with it. So I made some phone calls today. And this is what I kind of, I first called key color, Rick Parcell. Yeah. And he doesn't know the biology behind it, but I needed to know exactly what is coloring. And I thought I knew. And he, he has been in this world for like since a dinosaur, right? So I kind of got the lowdown on what is color. And it was kind of interesting. And it was a nice little, and I'm going to spend about three minutes explaining what it is. And then um, then I'll talk about what it does to zooplankton and algae. So pond color is mostly blue acid number nine. And it's, and it's the same blue that's in your blue Gatorade, blue m and yeah, do you do you want to tell them the reason why the blue is so important? Well, I mean, well, I will here in a second. I want to define what it is. Like, is it just is it the same? I mean, this is a food coloring, right? That we use in but actually in what I learned from Rick was and in the blue Gatorade, it's about 10 to 20 times stronger than it is in your pond. Okay. Makes sense. So, and then there's another company that adds uh, a yellow, and I don't know what acid that is, but a yellow food coloring. In. But when you add yellow, because they want to go after different wavelengths, particularly right. um, some wavelengths of blue-green algaes, and some particularly like hydrilla uh, on the plant side of things that they have more absorption in that yellow range and they felt like adding yellow in there now the interesting point is when you add yellow you have to decrease the concentration of blue to about a third so by lightening up your blue 
and having the yellow in there, it sounds great. But what's in particularly a gallon, you could put into a, a quart a lot of times. So a lot of times when you go to the store, it has you, uh, you think, well, it has blue and yellow, but it has actually a third blue and a little bit of yellow. In it. So, and it's usually more expensive. So it's pretty interesting, but also some of those are registered and some of those, uh, you know, with an actually state on there, some claims in which I'll talk about in a second. And then thirdly, there's th- only three uh, food colors we use in our industry. And the other one's red, which is probably used the less. And they use that when they have a green background, like um, a, a planktonic bloom or har- harmful algae bloom. And they use that because the absorption, it makes the blue pop more uh, just because it's like a portrait and they it's very very rarely used but um that would be that's what he told me that when when they would use any kind of red in the background pretty fascinating right i mean there's only three colors that we use in there and it's all food grade dye or colorants in it so now so the advantage of using colorant for years and the reason it was developed was to control hydrilla and right, so just but let's pause right there for a second because everybody needs to be very aware when we talk about control what that means anytime you make a statement of control of anything it becomes a herbicide that's right anything if you say i'm going to put a wooden post in the dock a wooden post in the water and it's going to control my hydrilla that wooden post technically should be registered by the epa so you have to be very very careful about what claims you make about what colorants do and do not do that's right so anytime there is a claim on the bottle that it is interrupting the growth of any plant or animal, that it's got to be registered with the EPA. Uh, there are a few of those out there. Um, the one on top of my head is Aquashade. And do you know the other two? I know there's three. I don't. I know Aquashade's registered. I don't know which other ones are. There are a couple out there, but I, I rarely he, keep up. He told that. me, and if you guys really want to know, then I'll 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 dig those names up. And I apologize to the people that I can't. And when remember. we get to it, I'll tell you the reason I don't really keep up with that in a minute. And we can I'll let you go through what you're saying and then I'll give right. you my understanding of all this. So So everybody hears what it is. Now we're gonna talk about when we use it. So let's just say we use colorant, and then the reason we use colorant is to shade out sunlight, and it doesn't allow sunlight to hit the bottom of the lake and therefore grow something. Well, but back up real quick. So the shading out part is very good, what you just said, but the reason they use certain colors is because of the refraction of that wavelength in the water column, certain plants utilize certain colors and or wavelengths from the light spectrum to grow more readily. So if you're refracting those colors back out, it is less likely for the plant to grow. Correct. It's kind of like, kind of like, uh, well, let me, let me continue. The it decreases the amount of sunlight they able to hit the bottom or get absorbed by the plant, and de- decreases the efficiency of the growth or the plant or algae. And so that is the reason we use it. The <clears throat> so 
when we use colorant a lot of times, and if you ever look at ponds that have color in them, it was mimicked off of colored ponds, no matter if it was tannins was the big one where it was developed like 40 years ago is they realized that plants only grew to a certain spot in depth and then they would stop. And the reason is because sunlight wasn't able to penetrate. It's like putting a piece of shade cloth on top of a plant or using a house plant and then put it into the closet and, and expecting it to grow because, and it won't be, or it won't do very well because it doesn't, it isn't getting what it needs. And so colorant is a use for that. Now we have used that to control uh, the, uh, no, we use DPA certified colorants. So the, uh, on, we have used them to control vegetation and, and basically allow them so they don't grow out of their, just if it's four feet or six feet, the plants will get so clear and they'll just take over the lake. So we use that as a kind of control method to allow the plants not to grow and take over the lake as fast. That's one reason. But the now here is the stickler, and I think this is why what Troy's going to say too, and I'll let him explain too, is that when you start to shade out, when you start to shade out plankton, especially green algae, well, they need sunlight. You got blue coloring in there, or other any other coloring in there. They're competing for sunlight, so your green algae level starts to decrease, decreasing zooplankton growth, which decreases, which decreases the amount of small fish that can be able to come off the nest and have enough food. So, therefore, you're decreasing your forage base. You want to expand on that? Yeah. So, listen. I mean, there's a whole lot to unpack here, and I don't know that we can do it all today, but um and and i, I want to preface to matt and i on different sides of the mason dixon line and the further south you go the more this changes colorants are great aesthetically if you use the right blends they look great but for me in the southeast to add enough color to a lake to shade out any type of plant growth it almost has to look like mr clean has visited uh and it's so blue or so black that nothing's going to grow. So you do shade at that point and, and you still won't get complete vegetation. Uh, let's, let's say sequestering. You won't get complete vegetation sequestering that way because you can't shade a lake where I live dark enough in one, two, three feet of water uh, and still look okay to keep vegetation from growing. And when you get it that dense, you certainly will shade out phytoplankton growth uh, and, and destroy zooplankton growth. However, you know, this goes back to your fishery goal. If you really don't care how dark it is and you want to supplementally feed your fish to replace that zooplankton need, if you want to put it that way, you can do that with fish. But I would say if you're trying to have as natural of a scenario as possible, some coloring is fine. I just wouldn't expect too much in the Southeast, specifically dealing with exotic species, but even in shallow impoundments, and keep in mind, nothing in the southeast and primarily nothing until you get way up north uh, is a natural water body. These are not glacial lakes. These are impoundments. They're reservoirs. We've created them. They go through horrific cycles of nutrient loading, sedimentation. All of that occurs, which increases or decreases your ability to have effective vegetation control on any level. 
Herbicides work well. Removal works well. Um, colorants look good. The theory behind them is, is they refract light, uh, lessening the amount of light of that certain, uh, that color on the spectrum that gets down to the plants, uh, which allows them to grow proficiently or efficiently. And so you wind up with, um, you're, you should wind up with less growth. I've never found that to be the case. Just doesn't work for me. And we've got some as dark as the ones where it does work. It literally looks like you're at, you know, you're at some amusement park and it's, it's like the, the putt-putt place uh, on the Gulf Coast that you go to, and it's completely blue. Yeah, you may shade out some some growth there, but it's not very attractive in terms of having a natural-looking water body. So for me, it's a tool that we use early in the year. We find that it helps to some degree early in the year with very light amounts, and that does not affect what you're creating in terms of phytoplankton in the top two or three feet of water because that phytoplankton growth is in that upper that what we call the epilimnon. It's the upper layer of the water column. Once you get it too dark, it will start affecting that. But if you're using light levels early in the year to shade out light penetration at the bottom, it can be effective early in the year. But once you start getting real hot, uh, it starts becoming more and more difficult. So that's, you know, I utilize them early in the year just to kind of uh, thwart off uh, early year growth. But it doesn't, it doesn't, negate the fact that I will have vegetation growth later in the year if I maintain that same level of color. At some point the water is going to heat up, the light's going to penetrate, and you're going to get a you're going to get a spike in vegetation. Good. The uh I'm glad you're getting that kind of point of view out there because there's a lot of different points of view, especially when we start going to the the Facebook page, is that up north we utilize it a lot to control vegetation now we don't ever use it to eradicate anything it's to control the depth into which the water column that allows the plant to grow so yeah we usually shade until about 28 30 inches and then usually a plant will go about 10 inches deeper than that and then they just they just can't grow out anymore and then they won't and so they uh well, and keep in no. mind, I think the longer I think the longer you can keep a plant from reaching the surface and flowering and producing seed, which we're you and I are right now talking about native species, this just doesn't work for exotic plants like hydrilla. Hydrilla yeah. has such a low, it has such an ability to grow at very very low light levels. That's why it outcompetes our native species. It has what's called a very low CO two compensation point, which simply means it has the ability to grow at light levels far below what our native species do exactly and grows fast so and grows fast and yeah. grows so and you can't look at just vertical you can't just look at vertical growth with hydrilla you've got to look at spatial and horizontal growth hydrilla will grow and it's been measured if you measure every growing apical tip up to 100 inches per day for one plant if you start measuring every growing apical tip it's amazing it's an amazing plant so when you start talking about thwarting that growth in water columns that are six eight or ten feet deep it's nearly impossible. We have we have hydrilla growing in the Tennessee River system, popping out, getting to the surface in fifteen feet of water. That's very very deep. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a whole new ball game there. The uh, but, but what the, the point is is that when you get when you get to where you're at, there's very few exotics. There there are some exotics like that, but you typically don't see them in small impoundments. Um, you're you're. Your exactly. homeowner's your homeowner's leg doesn't have that. You're talking about native species like thinleaf pondweed, southern naiad, um, maybe um, big leaf pondweed or, or American pondweed, 
you know, you're talking about species that are slower growing, seed producing annual plants. And the longer you can thwart them from getting to the surface and really producing seed, the better you are in the long run at controlling them long term because you, you've stopped that seed production. And that would be, in my opinion, that would be the overall goal would be to stop it for stop its its overall growth for a season and to and reduce that seed production. Right. Exactly. And certain plants take a little bit more. And we've noticed that cara specifically, it'll suck blue coloring out of the water it just is it's it's a clarifier and it wants to get clear and so it'll take a lot of that blue right out of the water column and and make it clear so you have to add a little bit more depending on which plant is in there too which is matt says car potato potato tomato tomato i say carrot uh it's a branched algae it's it's a macro algae it's not actually a vascular plant so uh it is a branched uh, right. It's a brown algae. So and so, but ironically, we get a little bit of that blue back when things decompose in the winter times. You know that? I so did like, not. I've never looked at it that close. Yeah, but it takes a while to get it all back. Now, where I see colorant doing really good is like you said, you tipped on it, tipped on it uh, earlier, which is no pun intended. Is that early season, especially? With spirogyra, which is the first green mat algae that comes out, and it does not like to be shaded. And then if you can keep it a little bit darker, it'll keep a lot of those filaments algaes out. Yeah. Now, here is where the absolutes in pond and lake management cross, meaning I don't ever say never or always in lake management. Very, very often. Now, there you can't. Things, you, you can't. Yeah. But there is some things that are that are cornerstones, but there's always or maybes a lot more often. And uh, but this is where it's going to get interesting. So there are some papers of where utilizing colorant and decreasing green algaes and decreasing the amount of zooplankton growth and and in an overall pond and lake. Fair. Got it. That makes sense. But there are a lot more papers, especially in fry production and at the hatchery, that when you have filaminous algae, you have less zooplankton growth. So which one do you want to control is the question. So if you utilize colorant to reduce the amount of filaminous algae early in the season, which Troy has said early, right? And oh, reduce the growth, let it flush, and have your green algae come in behind it and not compete with filaminous algae. That is an excellent time and place to use color. Yeah, so, you know, but I, I still think that we're, you know, we've got so many sectors of the industry that cross here, right? I mean, if you're a productivity guy in terms of your fishery, you're probably not just relying on your zooplankton anyway, right? I mean, we're supplementally feeding these fish all correct. the time. So, you know, you're, you, you've got to look at this in a multitude of ways. You can be, you can be as green of a person as you want to be and do things as naturally as possible. And then the argument can be made that color, it's not natural, whatever. We can go around and around and around this. The bottom line is that if you want to have a better experience in terms of fisheries and production, you need to thwart vegetation growth somehow. You can do that with colorants early in the year. If you happen to ding the zooplankton early in the year, you're probably supplementally feeding with food anyway. 
Yep. Uh, so you're going to replace that zooplankton loss. And later in the season, when you've thwarted the vegetation growth, you're going to see the zooplankton rebound because the phytoplankton's rebounded because the plants that are competing with the phytoplankton are no longer there to compete with the phytoplankton. And that's the overall goal. Man. Right? Right. That's it. Yeah. So basically, when you hear that, why are you using coloring? Because you're going to reduce your fisheries and by 75% or some other numbers I've heard. That's, you that's are. Not, in, in, that's in, in, not, it's that's not going to happen. Just tell yeah. Especially if you feed and especially, and then if you use, and if you don't use it and you get a overall consumption of filamentous algae over the entire lake, you're going to have a lot more issues on your hands anyway in a really upset wife. (laughs) Yeah. And listen, if you, if you want to, if you want to put coloring in so dense that you are, you are thwarting production at a, at a low level that much then yeah, you may see productivity fall off. But again, we're talking about a scenario where it looks like you went to the local putt-putt golf place and it's as, you can't yeah. even put your hand two inches in the water and still see it. At that point, you're you're killing production. Everything's, all production's gone. Nothing's going to happen in that scenario. So this becomes this becomes the balance and act of when to use it. I think using colorants through the year aesthetically looks very great if it's the right blend. You can get some blends that look horrible. But if you did the right blend, it looks really good and using it all year long. We don't just use it from like March to June. We start, we want it going all year long so that when we hit those, those downtimes when vegetation is very low before it can start to rebound, we're thwarting that growth to some degree. Um, but again, I mean, this is, it's just a balancing act. So you just got to maintain a program that is aesthetically pleasing that thwarts growth at the right time. And then you've got to take up other measures later in the season most of the time. Yep. And it's a, it's a tool. Hey, by the way, wait a minute. If you don't use it, okay, let's just talk about it. What if you have, if you don't use it, and you have a horrible inundation of spire gyre, and you go, you know what? Going to knock that spire gyre out with copper. What else are you going to kill with the copper? Every form of algae known to man. You're killing all of your phytoplankton. You're killing all of everything. Everything at that point is going to die. So is it better to wait until it's out of hand? Well, and, use you, a, and at the micro level, not fish. And, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about in terms of your, your productivity from phytoplankton. Right. You're going to kill all plant life when you're, well, all algae life specifically. At the right rates, you won't kill plant life, but you will kill all algae. If you go in at a rate that's going to kill spire gyra, you're also going to kill phytoplankton. No doubt. Yeah. You're better to start early with a color and toward as much growth as possible, get later in the year. Minimize the amount of herb. Again, we're talking about herbicide minimization. Minimize the amount of herbicides you have to use and keep that productivity level in terms of phytoplankton and zooplankton where it should be instead of having these drastic swings back and forth where it's a boom or bust scenario. You want to stay away from that. You want to keep it moderated. So now, so listeners, if you, next time you see a post about colorant and somebody blasting it on one one way or the other, you can show them this, attach this podcast to the bottom of it, and just the the general rule is that color is another tool in the toolbox. And tell them it's real, and tell them it's very important that Matt said so, but tell them it's more important important than Troy. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, buddy. I appreciate it. All right. Will do. This podcast 
Sitting Dockside is brought to you by Private Water Natural Resource Association, a nonprofit built just to educate private pond and lake owners in the water quality and fisheries and all of that good stuff. There's videos, there's places to read, and there's a community built right into that website. So if you want to learn more, jump to pwnra.org and click. And by all means, make sure that this continues in the future. Podcast, education, video, become a member. If nothing else, there's tons of platforms. YouTube, Facebook, just hit like, send a comment. We appreciate everything you can do here at PWNRA.